there has to be this distinction between being attracted to a partner versus sex drive. Mm. And I wonder if like some of these assumptions are coming from kind of conflating the two of like, well, surely if you're attracted to your partner, you're going to have a, a sex drive for them and want to have sex with them. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about attraction. Physical attraction is something that most of us care about in a potential partner, but how important is it really? There's a lot of research that's been floating around for years about why we're attracted to people and you know what traits women and men find most attractive in a mate, but most of these have been brought into question lately. Not most, but many of them have been brought into question lately. And some of the data might not be as conclusive as we once thought. We're going to talk about all this as well as much more about the ways that we are attracted to people, both on the inside and the outside in today's episode. I found that this topic, I feel like once you start to question, just bringing up the question of why you're attracted to certain people, I find super duper fascinating and I'm really Mm -hmm. interested in it. But I feel like a lot of people, it brings up a lot of discomfort. I agree. For some reason. Yeah. Have you experienced that too when talking about this? I think just people, yeah, definitely do feel like, well, this is very personal and it's my own decision. And maybe I don't always know why I'm attracted to someone or not, but like nobody gets to shit all over who I get to be attracted to or not. I feel like mm. it it does kind of spark some anger maybe in some people, like if if those ideas are brought into question for any reason. I, I have found that in people that I've talked to about this particular thing. Yeah, I find like sometimes... Because it's kind of like the way that sometimes people react to it, it's like you're suggesting that like conversion therapy is a thing, Mm. (laughs) I think, you know, which is, which I think is not, is not really like the conversation that we're having around attraction. You know, it's not necessarily this conversation of like, you know, going from, from total, you know, 100% gay to 100% straight or something like that, you know, not like conversion therapy or anything like that. Um, However, I do feel like when people react kind of with discomfort or anger or frustration around this, Sometimes I feel like there's this perception of like, well, if you make me question who I'm attracted to, like, you know, then you're expecting that I should just let go of all my preferences and just be attracted to everybody and anybody. And there's like no, you know, distinction or whatever. And, and I don't know, as a pansexual leaning kind of person, I'm kind of like, what's the problem with that? But I know that's (laughs) not, that's not how everybody jives, I suppose. Well, I think it's interesting too, because on the other side, there are people who will say things like, why is it that I'm always attracted to people like this who are bad for me? Hmm. And in the same way, they might not be like, you can't tell me this is wrong. They're the ones being like, this sucks. I wish I didn't do this. Hmm. Yet at the same time, feel like it's out of their control. Like it's Hmm. just something that they can't change that they don't have control over. It's just, it's like something out of our hands. 
Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Right. It, it, I know. Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say, it, it kind of reminds me about the way people talk about whether they're monogamous or polyamorous, too. Mm. That there's mm. either they might want to change it or they might be very fixed in what they are. But the idea that it could change seems kind of foreign to people. Like that, that, that preference could change that kind of admitting how much of it is social programming is hard for people to accept whether they want it to change or not. It's like nature versus nurture. That question again. Yeah. Regarding this. Yeah. It's hard because I feel like with a lot of things, you can't get down to this like black and white, like, you know, on or off, like, you know, this like digital on or off switch when it comes Mm -hmm. to figuring out who you're attracted to. However, it's not also something where you're just like, so completely set and there's no changing it and you are just the way you are. And there's like no plasticity or fluidity around it. It kind of lives in this in between area. I feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to start out by looking at like, what, what are some of the myths and assumptions that we have about attraction? Like, like what, what comes to mind of like things you've heard, um, things that maybe we've even talked about on this show before things that research seems to support or just that's like, anecdotal like saying common knowledge yeah yeah well i feel like there's definitely a big narrative drawn from evolutionary psychology at least Mm. i think at least within the last 50 years that's kind of started to dominate the stuff that we tell each other about attraction so like ideas like um you know the theory that it's like well when women are ovulating then they want really masculine testosterone filled survivalist men with beards and body hair <laughs> to but put then babies into them exactly to put the good genes into them but then when they're not ovulating then they want you know men who are more feminine or softer or you know more of a soft boy stay at home going to pay the bills and do the dishes in the cave kind of man. Um, I've definitely heard that one, <laughs> that one tossed around dishes. a number of times. <laughs> you know, cave dishes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's, um, there's a term for that. I think it's called like the dual selection model oh, yes. or something. Like, like the dual mating strategy. Dual yes. mating strategy where it's like yeah, the idea yeah, yeah. is that a woman would ideally be trying to find these two different kinds of men to sort of mm-hmm. complete her needs and that she would change it's the only two kinds of men that exist <laughs> right. oh, yeah. after all right. no other <laughs> yeah. types yeah. they're very Just simple those two. <laughs> uh-huh. so you know i've definitely heard a lot of that i think related to that i i think even in in sex at dawn they talked about some study where they find found that like women were more likely to cheat when they're huh. ovulating or more likely to be mm. flirtatious or something like that so i've definitely heard that around attraction and uh, like it being linked to a woman's hormonal cycle and ultimately being linked to kind of these Evo psych theories about, uh, you know, these very essential ways that uh, were different from each other. Right. Um, There's, uh, you know, one that's not even scientific so much as just a thing that people say all the time is this idea that opposites attract. Um, Mm -hmm. And there actually, there actually were a lot of studies done that did kind of support that idea. Um, But that's one that I remember hearing, you know, for a long time, it's like, oh, opposites attract. Like, that makes sense. Like, this person's more outgoing than you, so you must be attracted to each other. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like that that's so pervasive in our rom-coms, right? Is Yeah, true. The like, odd couple could, kind how of many thing. She was an uptown we... girl. He was a down-and-out <laughs> exactly. guy from, you know, the the alley. I don't know. <laughs> and well, for, okay, they got well, for together. God's sakes, like, how many times have we seen the pairing up of, like, the free spirit with the mm. type A, right. you know, like that, 
that romantic pairing either in movies or TV shows or sitcoms or whatever. Like that happens so many times and it's very much the like, well, opposites attract. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, it, to jump back real quick to the hormonal thing, definitely like I've, I've had friends say that they dated someone for a long time when they were on birth control and then got off of birth control and then were no longer attracted to them sexually. And I think mm. that, yeah, there have been a lot of studies done about that over the years, but we wanted to talk about that more a little bit because I've definitely heard that and like worried about that at times. Like, oh, if I got off of birth control, does that mean that like I'm not going to like this person anymore or want to sleep with them anymore? Um, yeah, well, there's definitely been theories floated around that like maybe one of the reasons why people suddenly stop having sex as much or stop being attracted to their partner Mm -hmm. as much is, is like, you know, if the story is that there's a woman who's on birth control when she meets her partner, they get married, they decide they're ready to have a baby. She goes off birth control and then suddenly her whole hormonal makeup is all different, you know, and, and her idea of like what's attractive and what's not. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, hormonally, maybe I'm not with the person that I would normally be attracted to. Yeah. Um, or yeah. maybe it's just, you know, you have a baby and suddenly you're doing a kajillion things and too exhausted for sex. But yeah, it's like sex is the last thing that I want to care <laughs> yeah. about at this point. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Um, also, there's a lot of myths out there that uh, like men care more about looks than women. Uh, yeah. Women care more about personalities. And also just this idea that like you're going to be happier if you find a more attractive mate. Hmm. Yeah, the yeah. idea of like trading up or whatever. Yeah, interesting. Oh, yeah, very <laughs> common. Yeah, I feel like I've also heard like a lot of theories around you know like what is it like golden ratio geometry around like symmetry in faces and in body oh, shape yeah. at least around like women as far as like what are the you know what are the classic ratios that all men are going to be attracted to you know which is kind of the way that these studies tend to frame this stuff um yeah Yeah, i heard a lot of that around like you know your hips have to be this many inches in relation to a ratio of like this many inches around your your stomach and then that indicates fertility and everyone's drawn to it everyone cares Mm -hmm. about the fertility Mm -hmm. yeah so we want to get into we want to get into some of these and actually look at some newer studies about some of these things. And we did want to start here that, um, as you've already heard from these things we've been mentioning, they this this research and the sort of adages and things like that tend to fall very strictly down cisgender heterosexual lines. That's who researchers are researching, because um, apparently that's where the money is. And so <laughs> that's where institutes are willing to put their money. Um, so anyway, just, you know, disclaimer with that, that, that all of this obviously has to be, you know, taken with that in mind, that the people being studied, some of these studies involved homosexual men and women. Um, but for the most part, this is, is, um, you know, heterosexual cisgender. Um, so the first one that we wanted to talk about was actually something that we've talked about before on this show. And that's um, the thing about uh, that Emily was mentioning about birth control and like, if your attraction to your partner will change, if you either were on it when you got together and then you stopped taking it or the other way around, you weren't on it and then you do. Um, and this was something that 
was, you know, some science supported that. And because it was sort of the first science seeing that, people were like, aha, da-da, like, give us headlines, like, let's share this information. And then later on, people have been able to do larger studies because now there's an interest in this. And so there's more funding for it, things like that, right? So in this example, um, a team of researchers at a uh, university in Finland recruited almost a thousand women who were in a relationship with a man and had them answer questions about their sexual attraction to their partner, their jealousy, their partner's physical attractiveness, their satisfaction in their sex life, um, and then also whether or not they were on the pill now or on hormonal birth control now versus if they were when they got together. I just had a this is a little bit more anecdotal, but I remember like my mother, for instance, talking about when she was on the pill eons ago, but how the hormones in the pills back in the day were higher than they are now. I mean, now you can get like Mm -hmm. orthotricycline low and it's like the very, very minimal amount. And I do wonder perhaps if like when those initial studies came out, it was with these higher hormonal birth control pills and now that that's not the case anymore, it's perhaps not affecting people's body chemistry as much. And so the studies that's, have changed hmm. over time. That's an interesting know. question. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't brought up in, in this write-up that I found. Yeah. Um, but the, the key takeaway they did find, though, is that there wasn't anything there to support that hypothesis that changing your birth control status would affect that. They found that women were no more or less satisfied with their relationship or attracted to their partner if their pill regime had changed or if it had remained the same. Yeah. Um, so that that was definitely an interesting thing to be like, okay, maybe there's some question marks there or something a little more complicated to it than just, totally. this is a fact. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to jump on the bandwagon of something being a little more complicated because something that I'm realizing is, you know, there is a lot of research to back up. And also I can definitely say a lot of anecdotal evidence to back up um, sex drive changing mm-hmm. when you're on hormonal birth control. Um, like I definitely found for myself personally, like as soon as I'm on hormonal birth control of any kind, like my sex drive totally tanks. Um, and it was like, I've just way less desire, way lower libido than when I'm not. And however, what I do think is interesting is that it's like, there has to be this distinction between being attracted to a partner versus sex drive And I wonder if like some of these assumptions are coming from kind of conflating the two of like, well, surely if you're attracted to your partner, you're going to have a a sex drive for them and want to have sex with them. When sometimes I think that's maybe the the difference, because this is also reminding me of another study. And I'm sorry, I, you know, I, I didn't pull the exact sits and stats for this particular study, but where they found that when they were like, as we've been in the process of people trying to develop like essentially Viagra for women, they find that, with women, um, sexual dysfunction isn't about like the act of sex itself, that it's like once women are aroused that like a lot of women experience like, yeah, whatever, things are fine. Like once I'm aroused, sex is fine and I can function during sex just fine. The difference is in the desire is Mm. in wanting it in the first place. And so that's what I think is maybe interesting is I wonder if some of these assumptions we were talking about earlier come out of this place of, of just assuming that, that it's like, well, if you're attracted to your partner, then surely you would have a sex drive to match it when maybe that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Well, and I don't want us to go too far down this rabbit hole and spend our whole episode talking about this. But, but it's so interesting, but, Jace. <laughs> but what's interesting, what I'm going to share with you something interesting oh, is okay, that okay. in that study, they did find, though, that women who were currently using the pill 
whether they had been using it all along or weren't when they met their partner, but were now tended to report higher sexual satisfaction, which, which I think is, is very interesting. Yeah. Because hmm. it's like the opposite of what you just said. Yeah. Right. Well, or, but hang on, hang or on could though. you sexual look at it the other way though, and be like, because they don't like, want it, yes. so they're getting plenty, so they're more likely to say they're satisfied. It, right, exactly. Mm. It's I like, what know. counts like as sexual sati- satisfaction? That's true. Yeah. Like satisfaction versus like wanting it or not. Those are yeah. two different things. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's like, yeah, so that is so interesting that it's like, I think not even maliciously, we can conflate all of these things together, like wrap up attraction and sexual satisfaction and libido mm-hmm. and sexual functioning all into this one thing when it's actually mm-hmm. all these different many moving parts. And then just last little thing, their study also showed that current pill users rated as being more jealous in this study as well. Oh, so okay. again, maybe related to all of that. I don't know. It's very, it's, it, there's a lot going on there. It's definitely more complicated than it was originally told. Like, oh, it's going to change this thing about how you're attracted to people. Yeah, um, fascinating. Yeah, That's that is very really interesting. interesting. Um, and going, uh, continuing along like the hormonal birth control pill route. Uh, so there, there was a Poland in the University of Krakow. There was a... Um, study that was done with over 6,000 heterosexual women uh, who reported their pill use. So they apparently saw pairs of faces that had been manipulated using computer graphic software. Um, So some of the faces appeared more masculine and some of them appeared more feminine. And the participants were supposed to indicate which faces they found more or less attractive. But apparently this experiment showed that women were no more or less likely to prefer masculine male faces if they were pill users versus if they were non-pill users. So that idea, again, that people who are on the pill or people who are ovulating even at the time um, might want more more masculine people or less, it doesn't Hmm. seem to matter. Interesting. Okay, well, I guess that's related to also this other study, which was in Scotland at the University of Glasgow. Um, So they studied the facial preferences, again, of like 500 women in this one. And kind of similar to these other studies we've been talking about, they found that women were no more or less likely to prefer masculine-faced men, uh, specifically when they were fertile. So this study was, was focusing on like not necessarily pill use, but on, you know, time Fertility. of the month. Yeah. Essentially. Right. This is yeah, that dual mating strategy cycle. thing, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then similarly, there was a similar study conduct- conducted at the university of German town name. How do you think I, <laughs> Got- how do you think Got- I pronounce this? Gottingen. 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 It was yeah. this University of Göttingen in Germany, um, again, looking at women, particularly when they're fertile, when they're ovulating. And they did find that at least among these women, I'm assuming most of their respondents were heterosexual women, because um, they found that they rated male bodies as more attractive as a whole. However, that was regardless bodies? of... No, like when no, they were no, ovulating, no. they found men just more attractive, period. They just wanted men more when they were ovulating. <laughs> right. Okay, I um, see. <laughs> which... Can relate, um, but uh, but the important thing here is that in the study they found that that was across all body types, both quote unquote more feminine seeming male bodies as well as more masculine seeming male bodies. That the way that the men themselves presented essentially didn't really change things. That the women were fertile were just more attracted across the board. Right, so and they're still kind of the same they're still as, attracted to the kind of men they're attracted to, just more so. Just normally, just more so. You're just right. more horny, basically. <laughs> <I see>. That <laughs> makes yeah. sense. That you so yeah, take. so that 
that Evo psych hypothesis around this dual mating strategy, again, like there's kind of more and more evidence showing up that like maybe that's not exactly a strong theory anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then uh, the last one we wanted to talk about during these studies is this idea that opposites attract. And <clears throat> basically, there's been this thing for a long time in psychology of, you know, when you do studies where people self-report, right? You fill out a thing about like how outgoing you are or about how, um, I don't know, talkative you are, or extroverted or introverted or different traits, so that you're self-reporting it. And there's been this concern that's called the reference group effect. And the idea is if in my group of friends, we're all introverts, but I'm the least introverted of this group, I might self-identify myself as an extrovert when in reality, compared to the whole population, I'm definitely an introvert, right? Um, This is something we've kind of talked about jokingly before where I say like, when I'm with Dedeker, I feel like I'm a super extrovert compared to her. Uh, (laughs) And when I'm with my partner, Caitlin, I feel like a super introvert compared to her being very extroverted. Um, But what these... Basically, there's been this big thing with using social media data. And so, this group of like over 100 universities has looked at behavior of 8 million Facebook users. Um, So, rather than you self-reporting, it's actually just looking at your behavior. And what they found through this is that actually opposites don't attract, that they do sometimes, but it's the exception by far. And for the most part, we associate with people a lot like us, Um, whether that's friend groups you know, peer groups or romantic partners that all of it, we tend to be with people who are very similar to us. Um, and we may just feel like we're opposite in relation to this small group of people, very similar to us. Uh, so I thought that one was actually pretty interesting. Yeah. I like that. That's cool. I see. So it's, it's like basically your friendships and your romantic partnerships seem more opposite to you than maybe they actually are in the grand scheme of things. Just simply because like the degree to which you are more or less introverted or extroverted than your friends, it it just might be different or or smaller than it is to like a different, completely separate friend group from you. Almost to like to put it in a more frightening way. It's that because we all tend to be so much in a bubble of personality type, we think there's a lot more diversity within our friend group than there actually is in terms of personality type specifically. I see. Yeah. I suppose that is a little bit frightening how much we can bubble up in that way and just really not be aware of it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, so that's so fascinating. And I, and we're going to get into some other studies a little bit later on that deal with non-straight people. (laughs) Um, Fortunately, again, this is something that just influences like so much of, I think, research is the fact that there's like this really strong, like heterosexual and like cisgender bias as far as like the groups that we do choose to study. And that is changing slowly, but surely. Um, But hopefully we'll see some more of that on the horizon. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. 
Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. Okay, y'all. So we've spent some time talking about stits and stats, talking about studies, about attraction, uh, specifically around, you know, kind of like femininity, masculinity. And I want to get down to actually one of the questions that did inspire this episode in part, not totally, but in part. Um, I feel like for a long time, there's been these floating questions around like, are my preferences and who I'm attracted to or my preferences and who I date? Basically, are they okay? you know, and whether it's something as extreme as like, is my sexuality okay? You know, is it okay for me to be attracted to this particular gender or sex or whatever, all the way down to like, is it okay if I don't want to date someone who's a Republican um, or, or whatever, you know, like, I think people have these questions a lot. Um, And in particular, there's been this age old question around um, racial preferences in dating, um, because as you'll notice, like, a, you know, pretty much anytime you fill out a dating profile, you have to click that box that indicates what your ethnic identity or grouping is. Um, and so, of course, people are wondering, like, if I only choose to date people of a certain race or if I write in my bio, I don't date people of this particular race or I have a preference for that. Is that racist or is it just a preference? Is that OK? So, Yeah. I have a lot of things to say about this, uh, but I'm also going to let this new Australian study say basically what I was about to say, which is, uh, so there was a study linking sexual race preferences to deeper ingrained racial bias. Um, Mm. And so this was published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior, and it asked 2,000 gay and bisexual Australian men how they felt about race and dating through this online survey. Uh, and so these men, they also completed a region-specific version. So I guess this is Australian region-specific mm-hmm. um, of this thing called the Quick Discrimination Index. So it's the standard survey instrument that measured attitudes on race and diversity. That's really interesting. I'd be interested to take that test to just mm-hmm. see what it says. Um, So apparently after putting both of these sets of data together, this uh, quick discrimination index, and then also uh, this other, I guess, the survey survey. Yeah. Their online preferences. Yeah. So when they put both of these data sets together, the trend was clear that sexual racism is closely associated with generic racist attitudes, which challenges the idea of racial attraction as solely a matter of personal preference. So, okay, even though people might, like, reject this idea that that they're racist or that the label of racism is wrong because, you know, their sexual preference is just their sexual preference, um, we do kind of see that 
inherent like ingrained racism is clearly a thing uh through surveys like this and through research like this and so i think yeah it's something definitely that has come up that we see and i didn't even realize like how much it came up in in people's dating profiles that they would like have the audacity honestly to say something like that like no x no y no Mm -hmm. you know asian men or whatever or anything like that's uh yeah well it's i mean it's such an interesting conversation because it's like either you can take the tact of like yeah having racial preferences especially loudly pronouncing them is racist or you can take the tact of like no, it's not racist, it's just a preference. Like, that's all, it's just a preference. But either way, I feel like it comes back to this basic question of, like, if we didn't all live in a society that's already quite racist, would you have those preferences in the first place? Yeah. And I I think that's my thing that I always want to come back to, not just in the discussion around race, but also in the discussion around, like, what body types you're attracted to, or, you know, just anything, like, of, you know, questioning, like, why is this something that so frequently just goes unexamined? Yes. Basically, you know, why, like, why is it so easy for us for people to just be like, oh, that's just how it is. That's just what I like. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. That's just what I like or what I don't like. Um, but it's like, why, why are we so resistant to just going a step further on questioning that? Because I feel like going a step further does then start to open this Pandora's box of all the reasons why. Um, but it's incredibly I- important to be mm-hmm. able to ask oneself those questions. And I think that, we're starting hopefully to uh, change the narrative around like these ideas and, and also like have, I guess the wherewithal to say like, Hey, maybe I've never dated a person of color and I should look at that within myself. Like ask myself the question of like, why is that? Is it Mm -hmm. because I, you know, wasn't, uh, I, I grew up in, a school system that was predominantly white or is it just because like the people in my social group were predominantly a certain race or is it because I do have ingrained racist ideas in my, you know, it just in the way that I grew up or whatever. And that is seeping into uh, my dating preferences, for example. Yeah, Emily, you talking about that, I mean, brought to mind a lot of stuff. I'm not sure if either of you are familiar with this um, study that's been done to try to tease out kind of this like inherent ingrained racism that might be in us despite trying to actively go against it. Um, And it's this study where they, part of it is that your reaction times are timed and you would see pictures of people's faces and then have to choose words that were either positive or negative words associated with that person, just based on seeing a picture of their face. And they show people of different races. And this one, it's not just about whether you picked a positive or negative word, but it's how long it took you to choose Mm -hmm. the positive word. Like for a picture of President Obama, you know, it's like that, that there would be this like slight delay in pressing it as the people sort of go through that process of questioning themselves. And what's interesting about it is that on the one hand, you know, some people use it to be like, see, everyone's racist all the time. Um, But what I think is kind of the next level of it is that thing of like, but just, it's almost like realizing that that's in there because of the culture that we're raised in and because of, you know, the, the neighborhoods or the environments and the media that we consume, like 
is accepting that that's in there. And that doesn't mean that doing something about it isn't still good, right? That like questioning that and the fact that they did still choose positive things to associate with people of color and not just white people, like that's still a good thing, but it shows us like, yeah, that's in there somewhere. And so I think that's really interesting with your question, Emily, of like asking, where does it come from? I think is a really cool part of that, that thing of just like realizing like, yes, this is in there, not because I'm a bad person, but like, that's just the reality. It's the water that I swim in as this fish. Um, <laughs> sure. and, and so like becoming more aware of it can help us more proactively do things to change that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm half Mexican, but it doesn't matter. Like, because I'm very, I've, I'm white passing and I grew up like with all of the privilege that a white person would. And, you know, I've, I have Puerto Rican, like my best friend is Puerto Rican, but, but still like he's white passing. And so again, like none of my sphere of growing up was having to worry about, uh, being, you know, having people be prejudiced against us at all. So I really, I agree with you that it is important to look at it and important to change, even if you know that like something might be there inside of you for a variety of reasons. It's important to examine it regardless, even if that's tough. So part of uh, what came up when I was searching some of this before the episode um, is this thing that Grindr did somewhat recently, I think in the past year or two, um, which is an initiative called Kinder, like Grindr, spelled you know without the E it, toward the end, um, called Kinder, which is this initiative <laughs> that um, is banning uh, any sort of racist things in people's bios. Um, which in itself is, is interesting. And there people try ways to get around it by saying things like no rice or no spice or, you know, using like little metaphors or whatever to try to hide it. But still the fact that they're cracking down on it and acknowledging it, I think is worth mentioning. Uh, and that also part of what they did is they introduced these video series featuring users who have experienced online discrimination, telling their stories of, what that feels like, what's happened for them. And I thought it was, some of the videos I watched were, were really, really interesting. They're also like very nicely shot. You know, they kind of feel like a Buzzfeed video or something that's got that kind of very bright, very well lit uh, kind of a look to it. Colorful. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that was interesting in that, that came up that kind of, I think goes to, um, sort of the, some of the questions that, that Emily was asking earlier too, is uh, that a, a number of the guys said things like, like, if you don't want to date me because I'm Asian or because I'm Latino or because I'm black, like that's one thing, but to just like put it on your storefront window, no blacks is a much more hurtful and shitty and racist thing to do. Uh, and I thought that distinction was, was very interesting. And it kind of, that is sort of one of the things that comes up. It's like, well, it's a preference. It's like, well, sure. But plastering that up as a sign being like you and everyone who's like you in this one specific way is somehow less than or not attractive, that that really gets to people that really affects people. Completely um, and understandably. And those are the stories that these guys were sharing in the videos. Well, it also just seems very 
short-sighted, I suppose, to, uh, I don't know. Yeah. To just like plaster it there also, you know, mm-hmm. where it's, it's like, yeah, it just doesn't seem like you've thought this all the way through and like, you haven't even considered the optics of this. Like you're so, you're so caught up in making sure that like someone from a particular racial group doesn't message you that you like can't like you can't even think about how this is going to make you be perceived essentially. Well, and some of these guys' stories were even like a a person said like no Asians on his profile, but contacted him, contacted this Asian guy, and he you know went to his profile and saw that he's like dude, like, why would you contact me? You say this right here on your profile. And, you know, they'd give answers like, oh, well, you, you like looked white or you're passing or, you know, this kind of stuff that just sort of adds like layers to this hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's entirely unnecessary. An analogy they used a lot was like, if any of us saw a storefront that actually had a sign that said no Asians or no Hispanics or no black people, like we would all pretty universally in this country, I hope, you know, agree like that's fucked up. Like that's not allowed. And there are, in fact, are laws against it. Um, But putting it up on your dating profile, again, in this very sort of public way is something that people will try to defend. Hmm. Right. And I I feel like there is this trend now of like, I think some apps, some sites are starting to catch on and starting to remove the ability to even filter by race. Yeah, I think they're allowing people to still self-identify, but but removing the ability to be able to include that in your search terms, I think, yeah. because I think that as more research that came out that said that like this is actually kind of perpetuating this problem Absolutely. Yeah. rather than making it any better. Yeah, that it was yeah. actually making people more racist in their preferences by mm-hmm. having the option to search for by that. Totally. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Well, so it's clear that like this is definitely something that affects who people feel like they're attracted to or who they feel comfortable like reaching out to or like going on a date with. But I do want to talk about also like the whole myriad of other factors that influence attraction other than just physical appearances, whether it's skin color or body shape or, or, you know, able-bodied or anything like this, but like all these things that are outside just the realm of the physical, because I think when we talk about it, like that's what everyone thinks is just like the physical attractiveness, physical attractiveness, beauty, or, or, you know, your sexual chemistry or stuff like that. But there's just so many other things that actually influence who we are attracted to. And a lot of them are very, I think kind of like this racial preferences thing. Like, I think a lot of us just aren't aware of what's going on on the surface level. Like it's a lot of things that are very subtle, that are very deeply ingrained that we don't even realize are influencing who we kind of choose to like match with or swipe right or whatever um, that we don't even are like, we're not even holding in our conscious brain at the moment. Um, And one of them is this idea of we kind of subconsciously sometimes seek rewards. We're attracted to people that we feel will give us some kind of reward and rewards mean things like dating. This person will influence my status in some way or influence myself financially in some way, or give me some kind of perception of power, or a lifestyle change, or a social standing. Um, There's this really interesting data mining done by this data scientist, Seth Stevens Davidowitz. And I think he came up with a book, I I think it's called, it's like Everyone Lies, or something like that. And it's basically about the fact that it's like what people search for on Google, (laughs) or search for specifically on Pornhub, because he also, you know, did data mining of Pornhub stuff, indicates that people are attracted to a much wider variety of body types of 
you know, ethnic identities, then people actually will date in real life. And, and well, I and think that that's ages a very clear and in- things like that too. Yes. And mm. yet yeah, age as well. Um, is a very clear indicator that it's like our perception of how others will perceive us when we date this particular person or have sex with this particular person really influences whether or not we choose to swipe right on that person. And okay. again, it's this, it's not this thing that we necessarily hold at the forefront of our minds, but it is there. Yeah. Well, um, another thing that yeah. we that we don't think about, but that we might uh, that kind of becomes apparent is time. Um, and I mean to say that is in like you probably have a big group of social people that you hang out with on a regular basis, and after a while, you might start dating someone that perhaps initially you didn't find very attractive, but then as you get to know them, as you build like intimacy and a bond, then you might actually date them. And anecdotally, kind of the a couple um, psychi- psychologists in some of these articles that we read in research for this episode talked about this. And they also talked about like the 36 questions thing, which we've spoken about often on this podcast, but that that sort of like container for building intimacy um, over time. Again, when when your attraction can grow just simply from getting to know someone on a more intimate level. So that's kind of nice too. This idea that like people can can be attracted to others for better reasons than just like do I find them physically attractive or not. But uh, I, I think it takes a little bit of time and and patience to build that intimacy for sure. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that kind of indicates at least, you know, like the study, you know, the really famous study done about like the 36 intimacy questions thing is that it can't indicate that it's not always this like formula of physical attraction happening first, and then you get to know someone Mm. more deeply, and then there's intimacy and then a relationship. But the idea that you can be generating intimacy with someone first, like you can know them as a friend for a long time and get close to them, and then the physical attraction comes in. Absolutely. Um, you know, that it can be this kind of flipped thing that, that, you know, is produced as a result of getting close to someone rather than the other way around. Yeah. Um, and in, in addition, we do, like Jason said before, try to find people that are kind of similar to ourselves, which it includes like personality and values. And then also, yes, looks. I mean, you have, I've definitely seen couples that like look identical. They look like they could be <laughs> like brother and sister. And it is, right. uh, it is really interesting. Yeah. And a lot of these talked about like that people will date those who are as attractive as they are, which is an interesting idea. And I'm like, that's so subjective though. Like how attractive is one person versus the other? Like, what does that even mean? Like universally wise, I can't even say like what equals a more attractive person than another. Yeah. Something that, that actually we didn't mention earlier, but that I found in researching this was that all these studies are done about averages, right? Mm -hmm. So when they look at things like attractiveness or about preferences of men and women and whatever, that they're all about these averages. And while those that can be interesting, uh, I was reading about this other study, and again, I'm sorry I don't have the details. Yeah. But basically, they found that while those may be true on average, that from any one person to another, they actually vary quite a bit in terms of mm. who they find attractive. And they found this even with sets of identical twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was interesting. Yeah, that um, even within sets of identical twins, they would find people 
like quite different people to be attractive when presented with pictures of them. Uh, so it's like this interesting thing where like on the one hand we get this data of the average, but in reality, each of us are individuals and we yeah. actually vary a lot more from each other than these studies would lead you to believe. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, another factor in attraction is self-esteem. Uh, and this one, uh, you know, go back and listen to our episode on self-esteem. Uh, but this is essentially having lower self-esteem means that you are more likely to reciprocate, you know, a relationship or whatever to someone who likes you, even if you might not be as attracted to them or there's incompatibilities there or it's not the healthiest relationship um, because of that sort of need for validation that comes from a lower self-esteem. Uh, another one's the exposure effect, uh, sometimes called the mere exposure effect. And that's basically just that the more often you're exposed to something, the more likely you are to like it. Uh, this is why pop songs work the way they do, why they tend to be so repetitive, why they get played so often on the radio. I think uh, it's why people end up dating the people that they work with. That mm. too. So I think that's mm. also a factor along with what Emily was talking about, about having time to develop a relationship and get to know someone instead of just writing them off because you're not immediately attracted to them. On the other hand, there's also this exposure effect going on at the same time that is going to make that person look more attractive to you over time. Uh, this is the same reason why people tend to like the way they look in the mirror more than they like the way they look in photos, because huh. you're looking in mirrors usually a few times every day, and so you're used to that way that you look, and you see yourself in a photo where it's flipped. And it's less familiar to you. And so that's part of why we're tend to not like ourselves in photos as much. Oh, damn. Is that the reason? <laughs> you know what? That's Actually, really that reminds me. That reminds me. Uh, in the Exploratorium in San Francisco, there is an exhibit where they've kind of... I don't know how they've set this up, but they've kind of set it up so that essentially you can have the experience of looking into a mirror, but mm. you're looking at yourself flipped the way that everyone else sees you. Yeah, huh. yeah. With the um, angled mirrors, Yeah. Yes, with these angled mirrors. And every time I've gone to that exhibit, I've always been like, why is anyone attracted to me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like when I look, like, yeah, because looking at myself flipped in the mirror, it's such a weird sensation in your brain. And I'm just like, that's not my face, but that's mm -hmm. the face everyone else sees. Is this how I look all the time? Oh my God, this is terrible. Right. That's so interesting. But, but we have really symmetrical ish faces. Ish, but it's but 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 that highlights all the little ways that you're not. It's it's. I don't know. I don't think it's even a matter of of symmetry. It's more a matter of just like what you're used to. Again, mm -hmm. because of the exposure effect that like yeah. you're used to seeing your face in a mirror. You're not used to seeing it up close the way that other people actually see it. Fascinating. But something you can take comfort in is that the other people in your life they're getting the mirror exposure effect of your face, but the right way. Mm. You know, the normal way, not in the mirror. So, mm. so they're going to experience like other people's experience of you is going to be more similar to your experience of yourself in the mirror. So than basically it is of you in pictures, don't let your partner look in a mirror with you. <laughs> right. Cause bloody Mary will come <laughs> out and kill you both. Okay. <laughs> yes. Bloody Mary concerns aside, don't let them look in a mirror with you, at least not to the same num like the same frequency as they look at you normally. That would be or, or very be strange. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> or be sure that they look at both equally much. So that okay. then they're exposed they to get both. the whole picture. Both well, ways, okay, that's yeah. interesting that that was your takeaway because my takeaway was <laughs> I just needed fucking chill. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, also that, that too, that too. No, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, like in the great episode about attachment styles that the two of you did, um, that's also a factor that we may be drawn to recreate certain familiar attachment patterns 
um, from our childhood or from our past relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's that so many more factors chestnut. too. There's That's so many true. more so factors. Many, yes. It's, these are just yeah. some of the big ones we brought up, but I'm just like, I want to keep going. There's so much more, but there's only so much time in an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. So I guess for me, you know, thinking about this topic, I think my main thing that I want to internalize is just this idea of like never taking my own attraction to other people for granted, essentially. Mm. Um, You know, never kind of falling back on this idea of like, well, I just am not attracted to this kind of person or I'm just not attracted to this body type or whatever. But being able to actually just be willing to step up and just examine that shit, like that's all. You know, I think examining it is just a great first place to go. It doesn't mean that you need to like suddenly do a major overhaul or that you need to suddenly like start fetishizing this group of people that you don't normally date. Like, you know, it's it's not about like going to those kind of extremes, but it's just examining, just seeing like what's underneath there. Like what are the possible factors that may influence the reason why I've tended to date this particular type of person over and over or why I always tend to swipe left on this kind of person, you know, Mm -hmm. just bringing like, I feel it's like just bringing the tiniest bit of mindfulness to it can be so illuminating and so fascinating. Just like a little bit of a mindfulness, a little bit of like a critical eye can really open up so much. I, I, I believe. Yeah. It's great to put it that way. And like, what Emily was talking about, like having that realization of like, Oh my gosh, I've never dated a person of color that her answer was, I want to examine that and understand why and look at that. Not, Oh, I need to go out right now and date a person of color. Cause that's Catch like a Pokemon, right? Like that's not, not a that's healthy also, way to That's think also problematic. Yeah. Right, to like, right. <laughs> like you said, fetishize uh, a yeah. particular group of people. Yeah. Right. Right. So let's, let's be sure that we're clear on that. Yes. Um, but in in the spirit of kind of you know investigating this, trying to get to the bottom of it, uh, something that can be really helpful is to actually expand your media diet and exposure. And what that means is like watching films or TV shows or magazines, of YouTube videos, YouTube videos. Dedeker likes to suggest Instagram accounts mm-hmm. of essentially think of it this way, like people being cast in the romantic lead or like the hot person role who aren't white or who aren't or just aren't like you who aren't skinny or who aren't um, able-bodied or who aren't cisgender or like whatever it is um, of just sort of like getting more variety and realizing like, um, well, I'll, I'll tell the story. So uh, you guys may remember Fee, who was on our show a few episodes back talking about monopoly relationships. Uh, she told us this really cool story about, um, she watched this video, uh, a BuzzFeed video called Why Asian Men Aren't Sexy. And it was this panel of Asian men talking about this phenomenon of like, why don't people think that Asian men are sexy? And they talked about, well, like, look at the way that Asian men are portrayed in film and TV. They're, you know, they're awkward or they're mm. weird or they're super like nerdy, nerdy yeah. or they're pervy and weird or right. Like whatever it is, it's not the leading man. It's not the, the person you're supposed to be attracted to. It's not the person who's illustrating traits that are attractive. And she said that she watched this video and was like, shit, you're right. And so specifically started trying to find more 
uh, you know, media showing non-white people as the romantic lead. And she Mm. found that for her, that did make a difference that she found herself just, you know, passively in the world being much more attracted to, in this case, specifically Asian men, but also like other non-white men in a way that she hadn't before simply by like consuming media that exposes you to people of those ethnicities being confident, being sexy, being inspiring, right? Being successful, right? Like all of those traits that we already associate with our typical sort of, you know, white leading man character and just putting that in other places. And and the nice thing is that with the internet today, it's a lot easier to get access to media from around the world where they're not all white people in their leading roles. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so it, it is kind of like hacking that exposure theory thing of like just the more that you expose yourself to it, the more you're going to be able to be open to something like that. Yeah, yeah. And that, that you're kind of not trying to go out and be like, I've got to date someone who's this thing, that instead it's just... Mm-hmm that will just kind of be in the background, right? You're sort of changing, changing the alkalinity of the water that you swim in. I'm going back to my fish metaphor from way earlier. No, I love it. I love it. I'm going to roll with it. Metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. Bubbles and alkaline water and stuff like that. I love it. Cool. So this, this exposure thing, it reminds me of, I just remembered this, that in the ethical slot, one of their little exercises, and I forget even the context for why they put this exercise in or what they're trying to demonstrate, but they give this exercise of like, when you're out in the world, like on the train or in line at the grocery store, like pick a person and uh, look at, like try to see, you know, the person who's the most in love with this person, what did mm. they find attractive about this person? Mm. And especially like try to pick someone that you're not immediately like attracted to. Like, pick an old person or, or pick someone that it's like, you, you know, just a random stranger, like someone who's not even maybe like normally like the body type or the gender or whatever that you find yourself normally attracted to. And just like, look at that person and just find one trait that is attractive or like one trait that it's like, Oh, you think that like their husband or their partner like absolutely loves about them. And I really like doing that exercise um, just to, I don't know, I guess just to kind of have this like broader palette of the things that could possibly be attractive. Mm. And I think Mm. it especially becomes more accessible if you put yourself in the shoes of like, oh, this person's lover or this person's partner. So it doesn't have to automatically be about you at first. You can be like, what do I think this, yeah, what do I think this person's partner is really into? And I think, again, that helps just kind of expand and again, expose to this um, just different aesthetics and different ways that certain you know, things can be attractive. Obviously yeah. rein yourself in. Don't like creepily stare at strangers. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got to be kind of subtle about it. Um, but I also find it, it's very uh, entertaining activity to do when you're just like on the train or on the subway and don't want to just be staring at your phone all the time. So I like that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's quite lovely. And I guess our final takeaway with all of this is just that as people, um, as a community, even I think we're way more capable of change than maybe even we realize or that we think that we are. It's interesting. Like so many people look at people like politicians and they're like, well, that person's a flip flopper. Like they thought this thing, you know, a while ago and now they think this other thing and they're just trying to like go with the tide, but it really truly is possible for people to like realize that their initial reaction to something wasn't the right one. 
or that it needs to be examined or that they uh, really have some like deep thoughts that they should have with themselves and and figure out like why they believe something and if that is the right thing to believe. So um, with all of this, because we talked about a lot of a lot of studies even that were originally thought to be truth and and now not so much. Josiah's um, change is happening. And I think it's so unbelievably fantastic that like people are not as allowed to be outwardly racist on dating websites as they once were. And so I, I would like to think that like change, social change is really happening. Um, and hopefully by listening to this podcast, you can... You can think about that in your own life, too. Just uh, this specific one, like think about maybe what your preferences are and and if you need to examine that. Oh, just uh, part of the great takeaway is that it's not like, oh, this is going to be hard and I have to do this for some like greater social good. It's like, no, you actually benefit from this. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Like that's one of the cool things is that like by broadening your palate and broadening like the ways that you look at people and the ways that you're attracted to people pays off for you. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're the main one benefiting from this. So it's really a win-win all around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause if you look at it as this idea of like, you're opening yourself up to like more opportunities to connect with people. then it doesn't mean that it's like always going to be like opportunities for like, just like sex with more people or like more relationships or whatever, but just more opportunities that you're allowing yourself to connect with people, regardless of how it turns out, at least in my experience, that's pretty much always been like a good thing, you know, being (laughs) Mm -hmm. able to expose myself to this wider variety of experience and connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So hooray for neuroplasticity. Yay. So what did you think about this episode? Have you had any of these experiences? Have your attractions to people changed over time? I'm actually particularly interested to hear if anyone has had a struggle of feeling attraction for something, kind of like those search results Dedeker was talking Mm -hmm. about with either Google searches or Pornhub or whatever, of being drawn to something that you don't feel like you could admit in public. And has that changed over time? Have you started to realize, you know what, it's okay for me to be attracted to this type of person. That isn't something that I have to hide. I'm really curious for those types of stories, because that's not something we covered a ton in this episode, but I think is, is very powerful. It's very important um, to not feel shame for the attraction that we do feel. um, Mm Because there is some evidence linking that shame to acts of violence and things like that against women and minority groups because of this disconnect between I'm attracted to this thing, but I'm told that I shouldn't be. Um, So anyway, I'm very interested to hear some of those stories. And the best place to share your thoughts and to talk with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook or discourse forums. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you could share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can leave us an email at info at multiamory.com or a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5, or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.